Run the Film is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts, and because GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, the Raiders have only one game left in Oakland. Make sure you check that game out before they go to Vegas. They're going to take on the Jacksonville Jaguars with a chance to win their seventh game of the season. The GameTime app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. Download the GameTime app in the Google Play or App Store and score last-minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. Man, you gotta get a you gotta get a, a cheat sheet or something. That's terrible. That'll kill us. You like that? You like that? I'm just about that action, boss. You cannot lose games in the NFL and still win. You are listening to Run the Film with Kirk Morrison and Ted Wynn, only on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome back to Run the Film on the Athletic Podcast Network. Once again, as always, it's your host alongside Ted Nguyen. I am Kirk Morrison. And man, uh, what an NFL season that we have going now. This, this is the part of the season to where everything matters, right? Look, September was fun. October was great. November was pretty good. But man, you could just sense it. You can just feel it. December football is totally different, Ted. And look, it's like, because everybody sees what's in front, right? When you're earlier in the season, you still have so much more season that too much can happen. Scenarios aren't played out. You get to December, and especially now where we're at now, entering week 15, you start to see there's only three games left. And you may have to win all three. You may have to win two of three. You can't. You have to make sure you beat this team or beat that team. Like It just makes the season now so much more compelling the month of December, Ted. No, definitely. And there's so many close teams that are right there in the cusp of the playoffs that, yeah, it feels like this end of the season is a lot more interesting than um, the, the past previous years. And even even the top seeds aren't locked up right now. I mean, there's a chance that Buffalo could catch New England in, in the AFC East. So uh, really interesting end of the season. And just you talking about the last three games left makes me uh, want to cherish this season even more because, man, Sundays are boring without football. They're boring without the NFL. And there's only three games left, so make sure you treasure it. Then it's going to be playoff times and Super Bowl, and then then you have nothing to do on Sundays anymore. Yeah, I'm right there with you. It really is. Sundays have been amazing for us um, because I really feel that this year we've had some new stars sort of emerge, right? And like now in December, Ted, I really am. I'm focusing on some of these new players and how they play now when I guess more pressure type moments, right? Like there's players who I want to see where I want to start checking these boxes and say, is this guy for real for real? Or is he still got some some growth? And just a couple of guys on my mind right here at the top of the show is looking at a guy like Lamar Jackson or even with the San Francisco 49ers and Jimmy Garoppolo with a signature win last week in New Orleans. Um, you mentioned Buffalo and Josh Allen. He's a, a guy who I want to see in these pressure-type moments. Maybe even Deshaun Watson in Houston after getting embarrassed last week. You know, what has he got left in the month of December? Maybe even head coaches, Matt LaFleur, uh, Mike Vrabel. Like, th- there are some coaches I want to see in this month of December, how they handle the pressure moments, how they handle, you know, signal calling or just being in a position of where, 
hey, if you don't make the right decision, I mean, you're going home for the playoffs. Yeah, and, and it's tough. I mean, these these guys are fighting for a playoff spot. There's um, there's one or two games separating separating them, and one bad decision can end up sending you home. But you're right. I, I think a lot of uh, there's a lot of young quarterbacks in the league that really have to prove that they can perform the, these moments. And we, we're seeing the Mar Jackson uh, perform week in and week out. But let's see if he can do it as um, playoff time comes comes close. Um, We'll talk about Jimmy Garoppolo in a second, but he he's really been impressing me. Uh, but what did you buy, Ryan Tannehill? Do you do you buy this <laughs> resurgence? That's a good question, Ted. Because um, he's also one of the guys that I want to see. Because remember, Ryan Tannehill, I believe, Ted, and we got I got double check this that the only playoff appearance that he had in Miami, he was injured. Remember, Matt Moore made that start against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not even sure if has he been in a pressure-type situation on being in a playoff game and being a starter. So that's a guy who, do I buy into uh, what he's doing now? I I absolutely do in terms of the regular season. Postseason, I'm not so sure, right? There's some moments that I want to see from him, but – I think for right now, it's been huge watching him and this nice little stretch that he has uh, since taking over at the quarterback position. Now, it also tells me two things, Ted. One is Marcus Mar- Mariota was just that bad. Like, he was must have been that I mean, a number two overall pick, and you bench him for Tannehill, and his team looks totally different. Brand new team. It seems like the, the, the scheme wasn't a problem. Uh, it's probably it's crazy. Matt Lafleur was the was the offensive coordinator last year for the Tennessee Titans. I guess people just like the way that Lafleur basically called a game that they gave him a head coaching job with the Green Bay Packers because it sure wasn't because of the play of his quarterback. <laughs> I'll tell you that because Marcus Mariota ain't been doing nothing. So, but I, I just bring that up because I uh, I think Tannehill for me. And people, and I'm, I think I'm basing this more off of what I've seen and what I've heard down from the people in Miami that Tannehill, had he not been injured, they felt that he really could have been a much better quarterback. And he was good there. It just, when you, you know, have so much kind of chaos going on within the team and all different offensive coordinators and stuff like that. But he was on point. And so to me, I, I think that I'm believing in what he's doing right now. And I do want to see him in the playoffs. Yeah, I, I just I watched them firsthand in in Oakland, and the Raiders have a bad defense. Don't get me wrong with that, but I mean, just watching him make throws under pressure, put the ball consistently in great spots, make good decisions, and and even you know he he's pretty quick and athletic. He could take off when he, he needs to. Former um, wide receiver. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and he's it, it, kind of like he's kind of like Rich Gannon, you know, he kind of have a little ah, late resurgence in his career and yeah. has a little bit of mobility. He has good touch on the ball. Could throw the ball at different angles. Um, so yeah, I mean, he obviously still has a lot more approved for me to say that. All right, this is going to be the Titans guy moving forward. Uh, but he he's definitely making a good case for it now. I, would you would you extend him at this point, or uh, what would you do if you were Titans? Oh, I, I'm putting the tag on him. Okay. Right, and the tag is is going to be a lot of money. It's expensive. So yeah, if I'm Ryan Tannehill, uh, they they tag me. I I don't even. They just get get the they don't they can't even say tag. They just say, hey, we're going to fr-, and I'm already signed it. Okay, because mm-hmm. I'm taking that contract literally. 
because Ryan Tannehill, and he knows, he's seen how injuries have kind of derailed the early part of his career and some of his successes. I take that contract, and it also it helps out Tennessee um, in terms of what they want to do this offseason, how they want to go about the draft, um, and just getting him you know, more offensive line help, more, more weapons on defense. But um, I don't think that they have a long-term answer just yet. And so Ryan Tannehill gives them safe cover. Because if you think about it, if they let Tannehill walk, what happens, right? Who's out there that you feel comfortable with bringing in? Because you're gonna, he's gonna, you know, it's gonna be a, a king's ransom to go after a, like a Teddy Bridgewater, right? Um, why not keep the guy who you've been winning with and will continue, I think, to win with? So that, that's why I really believe that they tag him, Ted, at the end of the season. No, yeah, I agree. I think that's a good solution for both parties because one. The Titans get to keep him for a year. It's, it's expensive, but they get to see what he can do with a full offseason and if, if this is real or not. And, um, yeah, and, and just that's the facts of uh, the NFL. You you want a quarterback, you're going to have to pay. And um, and for Tannehill, I mean, you don't get the long-term deal, but at, at that what it's going to be at least – I mean, I don't have to figure in front of me, but you're probably going to, what, figure to make $20 million or something like that. And you make that money, you're, you're pretty much set for life, even if your career – ends ends uh ends today so yeah i agree i I think that's a good solution for for both parties yeah because his play this year has really put and catapulted the tennessee titans into a position right now ted to where they are at the top or they're tied in the afc south and right now as we just look at the afc uh playoff picture right now Right now, you have the Baltimore Ravens as the number one seed. We know New England uh, has now slid from to the number two seed. Kansas City right there in the three. Houston is right now sitting currently at four because they hold the tiebreaker right now over the Titans. So they hold. Uh, so they're the four, but they are tied record wise with Tennessee. And then the five and six are the two wild card teams right now. Currently, the Buffalo Bills at nine and four, and then the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, at eight and five, and it just so happens, and yes, we do listen to our folks out there on Twitter. Last week, I said that the uh, the Buffalo Bills and the in the Ravens game was flexed. It was the Buffalo Bills and tennis. I mean, in Pittsburgh Steelers game that was flexed. So I hear you out there, my Twitter folks, my Twitter peeps. Uh, I did misspeak last week, but hey, I fix it, I correct it, and move on. But so Buffalo and Pittsburgh, the two wildcard teams currently will take will play on Sunday night. That game has been flexed to Sunday night football. But then kind of the, the teams that are still in the hunt, I mentioned Tennessee, who's kind of on the outside just for right now. But we know that the uh, Houston Texans and Tennessee Titans will tangle this week. And then you got the Cleveland Browns and Oakland Raiders and the Indianapolis Colts, kind of the teams that we think are kind of still in the hunt um, in the last part of this uh, NFL 2019 season, Ted. So I guess my, my uh, question to you is, let's start with, uh, I'll go with the wild card teams first. Right now, Buffalo, Pittsburgh, um, Tennessee still, like I said, in the hunt, Cleveland, Oakland. Who do you think is right now is in the driver's seat to kind of get those two uh, positions for the wild card in the AFC? Yeah, obviously the Bills are pretty, for pretty far ahead. Uh, so I think they they have, that spot locked up unless they have they pretty much just kind of tank the rest of the season, which I, I don't see happening. And, and they're for real. I I, st- the st- I feel like people still don't buy into the, the Buffalo Bills uh, stock, but uh, they they are for real. They have a strong defense, and that offense is playing just well enough for them. 
uh, to win some games. They lost a close one against the Ravens, but uh, they played pretty well. Um, and and it's, it's amazing that Pittsburgh is is in this race still. I mean, yeah, they're they're down to a true. third string quarterback, Delvin. Duck Hodges, Hodges yes, yeah. Duck Hodges. <laughs> but, but, t- this. but honestly, t- I mean, could it possibly? And I'm just saying this, possibly, the Buffalo Bills could lose their next three in a row. I mean, this week they play against obviously the uh, I mentioned it, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Okay. Then they play against their nemesis. And look, I know I've been a Buffalo Bill before playing against the Patriots, man. That's always the game. And it's going to be on a Saturday, too. So one less day to prepare and you have to travel to New England. So just say you stumble against the Steelers, you can stumble against the Patriots. And now this team is now playing in a must win week 17 matchup versus the New York Jets. So it's not out of the realm. But just want to push back a little bit and say, I don't know if they're that far ahead when you look at what they have coming up in the next three games. Yeah, you're right. I didn't look at their schedule. So they, they could slip up. They could slip up. <laughs> Pittsburgh and, and may slip up. So you just mentioned Duck Hodges, man. I'm telling yeah. you. they confident over there in Pittsburgh. Yeah. But, I mean, they are pretty they, they're pretty much in control of their own destiny. That's true, play, though. When they play, right. they play the Bills. That's that is very true. a huge, huge game. Uh, for the rest of the standings, and then they play the the, the Jets, which they, they should win. But we have seen the Jets upset teams before, and um, and then they they finish, and then the Steelers end play end off with the Ravens, and who knows, the Ravens might be in position to sit their starters in that last game. But I don't really see them as a team that that would do that. Um, and and the Titans have an interesting end of the year schedule because they play mm-hmm. Houston twice. And then yes. they, and they play uh, New Orleans. Uh, Let's try so, to play them twice, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but even if they lose against New Orleans, they they have a chance to win a division because they play the division leader uh, leaders twice. So they're pretty much in control of their own destiny too. Um, so yeah, this is going to be a really interesting end of the season for the the AFC. Uh, a lot of pivotal matchups against some uh, some good teams. So yeah, that's uh, yeah. I know we'll earlier I said. Yeah, earlier I was talking about those two. They hadn't played yet. I forgot Houston. I thought they played earlier, but it was this. It was the Colts game. I was thinking of. So because Houston and Tennessee, they have not played each other. So they playing twice in basically a three week stretch. Um, that is where I think this division is going to go between either it's going to be Houston or it's going to be Tennessee. But I don't think that they're going to get a wild card team out of the uh, AFC South this season. Um, I think, like you mentioned, I think Buffalo still has uh, their sights set in there. And then um, don't overlook the Cleveland Browns, okay? The Browns, they've got the Arizona Cardinals this week. Then they play against the Ravens. And then they play uh, on Sunday, um, the Week 17 versus the Cincinnati Bengals. So they're in a situation, possibly, hey, they may go 9-7. and seven. That's, a, that's a strong possibility uh, for them right now if they win the next three. But... Like you mentioned, they have that Ravens game. That's going to probably come them down to their season in week 16. Um, but as I look at the top of the the conference uh, of the AFC in the playoff picture, the road to the Super Bowl in the AFC, I think, is going to go through Baltimore. Uh, I think that they've proven it. They've done it. And I don't see anybody kind of tear. You know, they may drop one here, but they still hold the tiebreaker over – uh, the New England Patriots, who are right now sitting at two. Um, I just think that it's going to be a difficult place to play. But I think Baltimore has locked theirs up. We know Kansas City has already locked up uh, their spot in, in, their, in the division. 
uh, as a division ch- champion, division winner. So when you look at it uh, right now, Ted, is it just a, really a three-team race for the AFC? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think so. I think so. But, I mean, I almost, almost see it as just a two-team race. I, I think the Ravens wow. are – the Patriots are just um, – the class of division right now. I mean, as far as locking up, you know, as being a contention for that one seed, I don't really see uh, the Chiefs making a charge for for the top seed. Right. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, Chiefs, um, even though it was a big win, but yeah, I don't know if that's they can make that number one seed. Not at all. I think they can get the two, which would be kind of something in which, hey, if New England does stumble, Kansas City, we know, does hold the tiebreaker. So, oh, yes, true. there's going to be some that's people right. in Kansas City over there rooting against the Patriots, obviously, over the next three weeks. And if Kansas City wins out, New England playing on a wild card weekend. How about that? Or, oof, that's crazy. That is unbelievable. Um, as, as we shift gears over to the uh, NFC, and I, I think the NFC has been more entertaining. Um, I think the NFC is we can't really – um, put a finger on, I, I think we have in our minds, we know who's kind of the favorite because they're at the top of the NFC. But I think we can make a case for at least four to five of the playoff teams currently having a legitimate shot at winning the NFC championship and playing in the Super Bowl. Um, because right now, currently, as it sits, heading into week 15, of the National Football League, the NFC looks like this with San Francisco at the one, Green Bay at the two right now at 10 and three. New Orleans is right now still sitting at three because of the record, um, are sitting at 10 and three. Dallas Cowboys, we know, yes, someone has to win the NFC East. And they're tied with Philadelphia right now, but they're six and seven. And then the two wild cards at the moment, Seattle, 10 and three. And Minnesota at nine and four, and the team still in the hunt, the Rams, Chicago, and I think that's really it. And in Philadelphia and Dallas, somebody's got to win a division, and they'll get the other victory. But as I look at it right now, Ted, I think the San Francisco 49ers um, have proven to be the best team in the NFC. Or I don't know about the NFL, but let's say the NFC, they've beaten Green Bay, they've beaten New Orleans, and they should have beaten Seattle. So if you ask me. They've done enough, and I can see that. They almost beat I, the Ravens. Yeah, they almost beat the Ravens. Yeah, you're right about that. They get the field goal to go through. You know, this uh, uh, right before half. I mean, maybe playing uh, differently uh, the second half of that game. But I just like what the San Francisco 49ers are doing. I know that's a game that we're going to break down in our recap of week 14 in the National Football League, that game at New Orleans. But right now, they're a couple games away from locking up the number one seed in the NFC. And I, I want to see what, it, what what's it like, Ted, because there was, and, and you can help me out here, was there really an advantage of playing at Candlestick Park? Because that was the last time that the 49ers, when they hosted a conference championship game, was at Candlestick. Will it have that same type of atmosphere if the, if the 49ers are able to hold up and have it at Levi's? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's a lot of complaints about Levi's, but when this team has been good, the, the fans have showed up, and there's there's some problems with the the stadium um, early in the season when it when it's hot because uh, just the way it's <laughs> built, they yeah, have this, yeah. the sun beaming down in one area, and it's just like 
fans usually clear that area out. But you know, it's it's later and it's colder now, so that's not really a huge problem. And, and this team is good, so the, the the fans are showing up to showing up to Levi's, and I think it could be a pretty um, pretty electric atmosphere uh, when they do make the playoffs. And if it looks like they have home field advantage, uh, I think yeah, I think Levi's will be rocking. Yeah, Ram. I'm sorry the. Uh... New Orleans Saints have already clinched their position. Uh, they've already they sit at the top uh, of the AFC. I'm sorry, of the NFC South. They've won their division title already, so they're already in the playoffs. To me, they're just jockeying for position. Will they be playing Wild Card Weekend or will they be getting first round by? Green Bay still has some work to do. We know they got some games coming up against Minnesota, um, and you know, could they falter down the stretch? And then the LA Rams, a team that. It's sort of sitting outside right now, uh, but they had a great win over the Seahawks last week. I watched it last Sunday, being there and in person, man. It's a much different Rams team than what people saw the first half of the season. These last three to four weeks, totally different Rams team. And so now the NFC picture is still cloudy. I think like the AFC is a you, you kind of figure the teams or the favorites are going to win out, so to speak. But when it comes to the NFC. Uh, the top is there, but just the seeding is going to be something that's ridiculous, right? It's going to be fun to see who gets those first two buys uh, in the NFC and then who's going to be the teams that you don't want to play against. Like, I don't want to play against the Rams. I don't want to play against Seattle. I don't want to play against Minnesota. Like, like it's, it's it's a fun, I think, final three weeks in terms of just determining the positioning of the NFC playoffs. Yeah, and I haven't really watched the Rams in the last few weeks. What have they have they done differently that uh, makes you th- that you know they're obviously improving? They've, they're winning some games. They're back in the race. But what's what have they done differently that makes them, um, you know, that's making them play so much better? Um, for, the biggest thing is that their coach stopped being an idiot. That's what it was. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I say that uh, in the kindness of words, right? I'm saying that because this is the words of the head coach himself. Sean McVay said it. He said, I, I, I stopped being an idiot, everybody. And so I thought that was hilarious that a coach would call himself, his own self, an idiot because he felt like he wasn't giving the ball to Ty Gurley enough. Ty Gurley makes that offense go. And Ted, this is something I've said about and just some of my analysis within the NFL, even college football, sometimes just touches, not yards, but touches affect the way you run an offense. And the threat of you running the football or the amount of touches, it still keeps the defense honest, right? But once I feel like you're one-dimensional, I I play pass and react to run. That's just from my personal thing. Like, I'll play pass and I'll react to the run because you're not committed to that. And if I react to the run, that just means that, okay, you're doing it, but you still really want to pass it. So you're not really comfortable in just running the football. And that's where the Rams were early in the season. And that's what's really changed. And you can see it now. They're spreading the football around more to the tight end. Um, they, they're just their perimeter runs have just been fantastic in involving the right receivers more. And Jared Goff, man, has had a clean pocket. You know, his offensive line, finally, they got together with three new starters and two rookies on the right side playing um, right guard and right tackle. That's ultimately why they've been playing a lot better. Yeah, so their offense, that, that was a big issue early on. So you, you think that their offensive line has taken a step up and 
they've really improved with these young guys. So it's a, a thing that I can ask you about this as well, because you do a lot of draft analysis as well. And and this I, this is kind of a Rams question, but not a Rams question, but a sort of a statement and things that I've kind of um, analyzed from watching them. And it it's what I see in New England as well. The Patriots do a great job at this is their evaluations of players coming out in the draft, whether it's the combine, whether it's just a regular game film, what just whatever evaluation of where the teams had those players at. It's, it kind of seems that these teams hold that for at least four to five years, Ted. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I'm saying that because when these certain players become available, certain teams jump on them, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I think the Rams jumped on Jalen Ramsey because they believed that maybe he, I mean, not maybe, but he was an elite talent that had they had the opportunity to draft him high in the draft, they would have. Or the guard who basically Cleveland just gave away in Austin Corbett, their second round pick of 2018, they just gave him away, like for a bag of peanuts, right? A pack of annihilators. And he's now the starting left guard for the Rams and he's playing pretty well because they in their evaluation in the draft probably had him really high. It just didn't work out. And obviously look, Cleveland has changed offensive coaches, offensive coordinators, head coaches, been a mess, chaotic. You bring him to a stable environment and wow, he finds a home at left guard for the Rams. And we've seen the Patriots do this numerous times. Take a guy who's played three or four years at a team, never really panned out. He goes to the Patriots and boom, he takes off. I've watched Cal Vanoy when he was at BYU. I always thought he was a player that Ted that didn't really he was positionless. You could play him at end, outside linebacker, off the ball. He can rush the passer. He had a lot, but there was not wait like, one thing he just did great. Like he did a lot of things good. Patriots in their evaluation, they trade for him, and he's been one of their better defenders uh over the last couple seasons, right? So that's just something I was kind of picking my brain over a little bit. I want to throw it at you just because the evaluations of these players coming out of college, they, when the draft is over, teams just don't throw away what you, you know, all that, all that work. They still hold that database. And when these players become available, teams find a way to pick them back up. Oh yeah, no, for sure. And they use those evaluations when they're, they're playing an opponent too, because yes, you know, you're, right. you're playing an opponent and then you, you, you have all this information from the draft. Obviously you'll update your scouting report, but you, you have to have kind of a, a working knowledge of every player in the league, especially opponents. Uh, but yeah, if you have a high evalu- evaluation on a player and you trust your evaluation, then you're, you're not going to just, just going to change your opinion because this team didn't like him and he didn't fit in that system. You still like this player and you, you, you think, you know, I, I could make this player work in my system. And that's what a lot of these good teams do. They, they take um, talented players that don't quite work out with bad teams, put them into their system, coach them up, and just put them in a, a better position to uh, take advantage of their, um, of their talents. And we, we see the good teams do that. We've seen the Patriots do that. We've seen the Rams do that. Um, and, and, you know, th- that's kind of how they're able to stay on top is just finding different ways uh, to to find these hidden gems, even even if they're thrown away after uh, they've been drafted. Yeah, it, it works. <laughs> Speaking of New England, right, as we kind of shift gears just a little bit, because New England, as we talk about their evaluations, uh, New England kind of getting into some hot water this past week. 
Um, New England, the Patriots, admitted to violating an NFL policy, uh, but they're denying spying on the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, the Patriots issued a statement admitting that their crew, they had a, a film crew, but it was an independent film crew, uh, that the independent film crew violated NFL policy by filming the field and sideline from the press box. But the Patriots, they insist it was an honest mistake. The team claims that the footage was only supposed to be used for the do your job behind the scenes production. There was no intention of using the footage for any other purposes, Ted. And um, I don't know where the NFL will come down on this. The, 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 we saw this before with the allegations from the Rams uh, back in the day saying that the Patriots taped their walkthrough and things like that. Um, so we've seen this before from the Patriots. Uh, I think Eric Mangini, remember, he accused the Patriots of this. This is kind of what they've been known to do, whether it was an honest mistake or not. Um, do I believe him in this situation? Possibly, yeah, because it was the Bengals, right? If it was the Ravens or the Chiefs, you know, saying Steelers, you know, a team that they really got to worry about, then I, man, you talk about trying to give them the death penalty <laughs> if there was one in the NFL, like 10 first round picks taken away and $5 million fine. Uh, this one, there would be a punishment for this. I don't know if taking a draft pick away for this would be uh, substantial because they've already done that before, I think, with Deflate Gate and other situations. So, I think this is one that the NFL will look carefully at this because the one saving grace for them is that they did uh, let the Cleveland Browns folks know uh, that they were going to be doing it. They just didn't clear it with the Cincinnati Bengals. So that's the one nugget I got from there. Maybe the league will be lenient because they did turn the tapes over to the league. So it's really up to the league's discretion. And we already know we'll never get a chance to see those tapes, Ted. I no. just want to see the. We never saw the tapes the last time, right? They no, they, they had to hand them over. So I wonder what the league knows, or I wish they could tell us. This is where we really need TMZ, right? Like, yeah. do your job, TMZ. Find out what was on the tapes, man. Well, <laughs> we well, want to the see Athletic the tapes. Just just published a story today from uh, Paul Deher Jr., who has reliable sources saying the Patriots video focused on the Bengals sideline for an extended period. So. If that's true, and they are watching the the page, the Bengals sidelines, right? Um, it well, one, it you know, it's not they're not you don't really give out signals too much in today's NFL. We have the heads they have the headsets that go straight to the quarterback and linebackers. Correct. So there's not as much signaling going on. So, but the the Patriots do like to watch the opposing coaches on the sideline. They look for little tells like, oh, if this coach is standing here at this moment, this could mean that. Like, if the right. head coach, like if the head coach is not really involved in special teams, and all of a sudden he's super interested in the in the kickoff, you know, they might think, okay, maybe an onside kick is coming. Um, you know, in the mic'd up in the Super Bowl, there was a there's a clip where um, Bill Belichick was really concerned because he couldn't see where Sean McVay was. He wanted to watch Sean McVay, so there might yeah. be a chance that they're kind of just monitoring coaches' behaviors on the sideline. Mm -hmm. uh, or there's a chance that maybe, you know, the scout that they were filming on the do your job breakdown is explaining something that they're watching on the, the Bengals sidelines. So, uh, you know, we don't know, but it is kind of fishy because we, we know new England has had 
a history with this stuff, and then you're you're viewing the sidelines, and it, it it's just ugly to me that you know the, the Patriots have to do this. We'll see if they get exonerated, uh, but yeah, just just not kind of a fishy look. But I'm not gonna pass judgment just yet. Yeah, I am not going to uh, to put this past them. There may be a little bit in there. I think my final thought on this one, Ted, is that Belichick probably acts so much from his personnel department and scouting to make sure that we're exhausting everything that we can do. You would hope they're just doing it legally, but you're trying to find every little bit of information to present to the head coach, right? I think when they have their meetings, hey, we got the Bengals this week. You know, tell me about the Bengals. What, what do we know about the Bengals? And you always got one guy who wants to do above and beyond the call of duty and say, well, coach, I know this. I know when they, this, this guy holds up one fist, that means that they're going to their base personnel. When this guy right here holds up, you know, two fingers, he's telling everybody they're going to play cover two or uh, or basically going to be calling signals on the field. So there's a lot of information that could be, you know, found out by scouts. And I think that's the stuff that, you know, kind of puts certain scouts in a, in a different, um, I, I guess, uh, category for Bill Belichick, maybe. And it's just my own assertion on that one. But it, there are certain guys who I know go do the utmost to, to stay in that room. So, but, you know, speaking of the Patriots, again, um, as we review games from week 14, Ted, uh, that was one of our games of the week. It was the Patriots at home taking on the Kansas City Chiefs. We got some stops in this game to find out and get that win in the end. I mean, we didn't. We scored the first drive, I believe, after the second half. Uh, coming out of the second half and then didn't score again. It felt like we didn't get a first down again. And the defense stood tall. And so for them, with all the different stuff that happened in the game, for them to only give up 16 points or whatever it was, it shows that they have that mentality that they're going to they're gonna come back versus adversity every single time. Uh, a rematch of last year's you know, Super uh, AFC Championship game, which the Patriots won in overtime, and Patrick Mahomes really played uh, played well in that game. Uh, offsides by D. Ford literally cost the Patriot. I mean, cost the Chiefs uh, a chance at winning that game. But I thought that New England, um, as, as they do playing at home, I thought that they would win this type of game, but yet. The Kansas City Chiefs, they're victorious, 23-16. Pat Mahomes, 283, one touchdown, one interception. Tom Brady, 19 of uh, for 36, 169 yards. He had a touchdown and an interception. So but I think the biggest takeaway for me watching this game um, was that I think the Kansas City Chiefs are a really good team. They're catching their stride right now, I think, offensively. Um, I just know the Patriots are a tough defense. They are very tough. And we know it statistically, we see that. But the Patriots' um, offense, and I know it's like low-hanging fruit because everyone's talking about it, Ted. But I'm I'm more or less, their offensive line has been really bad over the last couple of weeks. And it's really starting to stick out where their tackles are just getting beat around the hump, right? The guys are just erasing their tackles around the hump. And it's forcing Tom Brady to have to step up. And when he steps up, he's getting a face full of defenders. Right now, when you're playing against Tom Brady, and I'm watching it as a defender, Tom Brady's not going to scramble. Yes, that little scramble last week that happened on the fourth and six, I believe, for a first down at the end of the game. How rare was that? Like, it's so rare for Tom Brady to do that. So as a defense, I'm saying we are just going to clog things up 
forced Tom Brady to have to step up, and that's when our interior rush, which I've seen a lot more teams do, they're basically four down, rushing the two outsides, twisting the two guys on the middle, or hopefully beating one guy off the spot and forcing Tom to step up right into that pressure. And it's really forced him to have to throw the ball a lot quicker than he wants to. And outside of Edelman, there's no one else on that offense that can get separation. They don't have the Gronk anymore. They don't have, you know, Josh Gordon. They don't have some of those guys that created, um, the, you know, the, the the space that's needed. And that's the biggest thing that's hurt the Patriots over the last couple of weeks and what I've seen kind of almost throughout the season. Yeah, it's a bad combination when you can't block for very long and you have a pocket quarterback. And then you have receivers that are really struggling to get open. And and, and Edelman is obviously your guy, but when defenses start taking in, taking him away, who, who's going to win consistently? I mean, Sanu is a good player, but I don't think he's a guy that's going to consistently win one-on-ones. Uh, Nikhil Harry, their, their first-round rookie, he could be a decent player, but, I mean, just looking back at the draft, they could have got A.J. Brown. They could have had McLaurin. Uh, guys that I, I had higher, ranked higher than Harry. So it, it's just interesting that the Patriots are so, you know, and we talked about how good they, they've been at drafting, but it's interesting how bad they are at evaluating the wide receiver position. Because even with a trade for Sanu, they traded a second round pick to get him. And then you look at what Emmanuel Sanders got traded for. He got traded for a few late round picks to the San Francisco Niners. And I think if New England offered a second round pick and maybe a couple other lower round draft picks for Sanders, they, they could have had him. I mean, a second is way higher than a fourth. So, you know, and, and you can see what Sanders is doing in, in San Francisco. He, he's a guy that could just straight up annihilate man coverage. And that's exactly what the Patriots need. And they, they don't have that right now. And, and it's not like the Chiefs have, the, the Chiefs defense have been playing better, but it's not like they have, amazing cornerbacks and they were just kind of suffocating uh suffocating the patriots and and they they just they're in tom brady's face consistently especially uh, on third downs so right now this offense is um really tough to trust they got some big chunk plays off of trick plays but that's not something you could really count on um time in and time out yeah that, that's the one thing i i saw too is that I've never thought that the Patriots will re, uh, have to resort to trick plays to get the ball in the end zone, right? Like for your, your first quarter of the game, you're already going for t- double passes and all that reverse passes. I'm like, what are we doing, Patriots? That, like that's how bad their offense is to where they have to go to with some of these gimmicks now. Um, but at the end of the day, they had a uh, you know had a chance to win that game, and. The one thing I said with Kansas City, their defense is playing um, a little bit better, right? They're not as bad as I thought, or maybe it was just the, the Patriots' offense could be that bad. I could probably say that, too. Um, but offensively, I, I want to see the you know this Kansas City Chiefs run game and how much will they stick with it. Because I think Patrick Mahomes, yeah, he could throw 50 times if they want him to. But I want to see them try to control the clock a little bit more. I want to see them try to... Um, you know, run the ball well enough to give them more of the play action uh, and things like that. Because I'm just seeing right now that they're just faster than everybody. That's just what it is. I mean, they're running three by one number, you know, guys running vertical and then two, you know, guys who break off individual routes and they just make defenses have to play chase. Now, the Patriots kind of knew what was coming in a couple of times and, you know, they jumped in front of some players, but, 
you know, that's where I think that the this Chiefs offense must evolve a little bit and that Andy Reid has to get more stingy about running the football. And I said it before, it doesn't have to be about yards. It's just touches. Just make sure the defense is being as honest as possible. Like, yes, the big play hurts, but it hurts more when you're trying to stop the run and they get one over your back. When you give me that little bit of gray where 50-50, I don't know if you're going running. I don't know if you're going to pass. I have no idea. That's the type of stuff that really gets me like kind of like, uh-oh, uh-oh, like what are they going to do? What are they going to do? And that's what I think the, 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 the Kansas City Chiefs have to do more of down the stretch going into the postseason. I agree. And I, I think – and also we got we got to note that Patrick Mahomes did hurt his hand early in that game. So that affected his deep passing. And, and to your point, I think because Patrick Mahomes does have an injured hand, which is a pretty big deal for a quarterback – they should work on running the ball more towards the uh, as the season kind of winds down, and um, you know because they're forced to because of the injury. Maybe that will be benefit them as they get into playoffs, and they have to control the ball at times. I mean, of course, it, it's it's awesome to, to have an aggressive offense like they they've done and have a lot of success with it. But there's also times where they have to control the ball a little bit and. Um, with this injury, maybe they work on that part of their offense a little bit more. Yeah, I, I want to see more of it. I mean, keeping the chains moving as well. Uh, they were 5 of 16 on third down, which, you know, still not got great, but not terribly bad. But, you know, for them, they have to not only keep the drives moving, but it also, too, they, they've, they've got to cut down on penalties. Well, last week, 10 penalties. That could have really hurt them um, throughout the game. But we don't know if they're going to be a number one seed or a number two seed, so, right? So their thing is they're going to get probably one home playoff game because they're a division winner, and then they're going to have to go on the road. They got to go the long, hard way, Ted. This is tough. So they got to take their act on the road for two weeks if they're able to get past the wild card round. So it'll be interesting to see uh, for this Kansas City Chiefs team. But as we move on to uh, our game of the week, Ted, um, maybe I knew the game going, of the year. Yeah, maybe the game of the year, I should say, right? 49ers at Saints. That was as cool of a game as I've been a part of. A lot of emotions back and forth. The guys just kept battling. Uh, we had to call that timeout right before that, and that stadium was so loud that uh, it was hard to hear the right play calls in the huddle um, just because they couldn't hear it through the microphone. So I had to use the timeout there, and we got it quieted down so we could call that, and ended up being worth it because Kittle made a hell of a route, uh, broke that tackle, and taking it down the sidelines. That, Thought I was going to have to call a number of more plays to get into field goal range, but Kittle took care of that fast, which to probably saved a few years of my life. And going into it, I had the feel of similar to last year, Ted. So last year, um, you know, me covering the Rams, I believe it was like a week, I forget, week 11 or something, week 11 or 12. But it was the um, the, the Rams and, in, 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 um, uh, who was it? The, the Rams and Saints. And it was kind of deemed as probably going to be one of those bigger games of the year because you had two teams, uh, you know, pretty much that everybody knew that they were going to be playing for something so much bigger. And it just felt different to me, Ted. It felt like a playoff game. And that's what I saw on Sunday between and last year's game was actually in November between that uh, Rams and Saints the final of that one was 45 to 35, but it was close all the way throughout Rams. I believe it was similar to this game as I 
let me, let me look this one up real quick, Ted, just because I want to make sure I get it because I remember. I know exactly which game you're talking about. Yeah, it went back and forth, back and forth. Yeah. Uh, Kamara scored, then Gurley scored, then Kamara scored, then Brandon Cook scored, then Traquan Smith scored, and then uh, Ben Watson scored, Kamara scored. I think at halftime it was 35-14. And then the Rams came back. Malcolm Brown scored, Zerline. I mean, it was one of those games. I'm like, okay, this is the San Francisco 49ers possibly going to have a game like this like i kind of people kept saying it's going to be a defensive game i was like no it's going to be a shootout and i knew it was going to be a shootout because it was going to have that kind of flair to it right we we knew that shanahan was going to have to score points against you know the the new orleans saints because he knew who he was going up against and to watch how that first half kind of started and it was like like someone said it was like a tennis match who was going to hold serve and it was just back and forth, back and forth. And look, Shanahan opened up the playbook. I thought the Saints opened up the playbook. But the turning point in the game, right? The turning point in the game for me, Ted, was when Jared Cook got knocked out of the game. When Jared Cook, the tight end for New Orleans, got knocked out of the game, he was their scene threat. The 49ers didn't really have an answer for him early on. When he got knocked out of the game, that was one in which the Saints offense – I don't know if they could have recovered from that because he was a bit of, he was a weapon that they needed to work the middle of the field. And without that, that 49ers secondary, they just trounced on everybody who was in front of them. And man, I, I would say this, the 49ers proved to me this, they can win on the road. That's number one, which they probably may not have to in the playoffs. We'll see. But that was a signature win for, I think, Kyle Shanahan, John Lynch, and it also validated the, the the signing of or the trade for and the signing of Jimmy Garoppolo. If it, if if for whatever he's done all the way up until this point, that game on Sunday, the Niners winning 48-46 on the last second field goal by Robbie Gold, that game validated everything that the 49ers have been building toward all the way up until this point. No, I, I agree. I mean, Garoppolo was was awesome. Obviously. This was like a playoff game. You could tell this was like a playoff game because Kyle Shanahan pulled out all the stops. I mean, he, he's one of the best <laughs> yeah. play. Well, Sean Payton did too, but they're both two of the best play callers in NFL. And you could tell they put a lot of work in his game plan. I, I just wrote about it for the Athletic. It was just a really awesome game plan to look over. Uh, but I agree. I, I, when Jared Cook went out of that game, it definitely changed what the Saints did because as good as the Saints are off- offensively, outside of Michael Thomas, they don't have a lot of downfield threats teddy ginn's a good player but he, he's a lot older and uh, they just don't have a lot of consistent threats and that's why jared cook was such a big sign in his offseason because if you try to double team thomas you could have cook who who's a mismatch on on at tight end uh but if once he's gone you could just focus on thomas and you could kind of just play one-on-one with other guys uh kamar is a good player too but he, he's not a deep threat um uh, so once he left the game it, it, it did change the game uh, but one thing I did notice with the Niners' defense is they were a lot more vanilla than they have been all season. They kind of just played a, co- a few different coverages and didn't really disguise much. Uh, and losing Jakari Tart, uh, their uh, their safety obviously had something to do with it. But I, I was wondering, as, as a pl- defensive player yourself, when you play in one of these environments and a lot of people were saying the Dome was just crazy loud, does that force your defense to be a little more vanilla? 
No, because remember, you're on the road. Yeah. So you the communication is there. New Orleans, they're smart fans. They they know. They know when to get loud. That's the one thing about different parts of the country. <laughs> and I'm not, not knocking anybody as we uh, tape this here on the West Coast, right? Uh, West Coast fans are a little bit different. Um, they are invested in their ball clubs and their teams and their environments. So I'm not t- taking a shot at anybody. But it's just that certain fan bases that I know of, especially down in New Orleans, they're very smart and understanding. And they have a quarterback who will let them know as well to quiet down. Basically, be quiet. Like, don't talk. <laughs> and I, I, I know that because how many sacks do the 49ers have in that game? Zero. <laughs> but, I mean, does it does it affect defensive communication when you play in, a, in a, an environment like that? Do you simplify the defensive game plan when you know that that stadium's just going to be rocking? Yeah, it's more on the offense, right? That's why yeah. I'm more impressed with the offense because when I say they're a smart fan base is that when Drew Brees and that offense is on the field, that oh, place yeah. is silent. Okay. Yeah, You know what yeah. I mean? Like, it is silent, quiet. Um, because Drew Brees is also a great manipulator of the snap count, right? He's not going to let you get a beat. And those 49er players could not get a beat. That's why I said they had no sacks. That's one of the hard parts about playing in the dome is that you're not going to get that get off as if when you're at home and you're D Ford and, you know, you're Nick Bosa and Armstead and, and, and Buckner. And you know, the quarterback's got to go on one. They got to go on first sound. They got to go when he quarterback hikes that leg up right to initial to the center to snap it when he lifts his head up. Like there's certain things that you can get away with at home, but on the road, especially in New Orleans, it's just tough. So the communication sometimes can be vanilla because of guys who go in and out. So basically I've been working with one guy all week and we've always said, Hey, if we get this double stack alignment, Hey, me and you let's play in and out. But all of a sudden I'm out of the game. The backup comes in. I'm not comfortable playing in and out. You know what? I'd rather you just go man it, man the guy on the on the uh, on the line of scrimmage, and I'll take wherever the guy goes behind him. I'll just play off, and so that's some things that you know you have to do on the run because we know the the uh, the Saints are very good at getting some matchups that you know for me looks a little bit uh, you know more advantageous for them. Right when Taysom Hill comes into the game. You don't know if he's a wide receiver. Is he a running back? He's going to be a quarterback. So the communication has to be there. But being on the road does help them because the offense, um, the the fans aren't as loud and as crazy um, as it would be for the for the uh, for the opposing uh, offense for your for your offense, I should say. Yeah, and so the the game went back and forth, and in the in the fourth quarter, the they were the Niners were down one point. They face a fourth and two, and uh, people don't, you know, and that's when that big George Kittle play happened. But right before that happened, they actually had to burn a timeout. They had two time, two timeouts left, and they had to burn one with thirty seconds left, which was a huge deal because you know you, you can't burn timeouts in that situation. But it was so loud that um, I, I, Kyle Shannon said after the game that he he called fourteen on the wristband, but it sounded like fifteen. So the Niners were in, in the wrong play, so they had to burn a timeout to get in the right play, and and then that's when they called the uh, a choice route to George Kittle, and Kittle read the defender's leverage, broke outside, Garoppolo uh, threw a perfect pass, hit him in stride, and 
and then he just rumbled down for one of the great tight end plays, uh, you know, that I can remember. And then gets and then gets a face mask on top of it, just just a beast play, and uh, they get the game winning field goal at the end and, and beat the, and beat the Saints at home uh, by two points. So uh, I mean, it, this was just a great game where you know at first the Saints were up big and all of a sudden the Niners are up big and then they start it becomes a defensive showdown a little bit and then they, they trade points in the fourth quarter and yeah just just a really great back forth game yeah um it was back and forth to a point where you knew whoever had the ball last was going to win that game would I love to see a sequel of that game you're darn right I would love to see them play a, a rematch another game uh just to that I, I think uh, level of play, the intensity was there. The coaching was there. Um, I, I don't fault both defenses at all. We knew it was going to be a situation where which defense was going to get the last stop, right? Or which was going to find a way to get a stop and uh, or a turnover, anything. Uh, but it came down to the end. Robbie Gold, this is why you, you, you pay for Robbie Gold, right? This is the reason why you get a contract done for your all-pro uh, one of the best kickers we've seen in a long time, especially pressure kicker. Uh, think about if Robbie Gold was available against the Seattle Seahawks earlier in the season. The 49ers are probably sitting at, uh, what, 12-1, and 1, maybe even 13-0. and 0. Uh, You know what I mean? If they were able, if that field goal had been a little closer in Baltimore and it wasn't raining and it wasn't, you know, maybe 40 yards, a little bit different. But um, I think – at the end of the day, as we kind of wrap this game up and we get ready for our rapid fire, uh, oh, actually our previews for a couple of games this week as well for week 15, I would say this. I don't take anything away from this loss for New Orleans. There's still a team that I think can be in the Super Bowl. I, I don't take anything away from them. I think they'll be back. Jared Cook will be back. The defense is going to be playing well. I don't want to play them, i tell you that. In uh, the 49ers, like I said before, they solidified that number one spot that if they went out to me, they've earned it. They've done it. And um, I, I can't say enough about what has do- they've, they've done in just a quick three years or three seasons, I should say, under Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch. Yeah, no, for sure. And it, it like you said, it really is a credit to. The, what they've built all these years to be able to win a game like that and put themselves in this situation. Um, but yeah, moving on to previewing week 15. Uh, we, we talked a little bit about this game earlier, but the Texans and Titans. You have to be able to have some confidence from, from each week. I think the confidence can carry over. The things that you're doing well, you know, maybe the things that you need to fix, you have to practice really hard at it and, and make sure that the players are comfortable with what you're doing. And then we've talked about the momentum. The momentum is going to start over. It's going to start over as soon as we start looking at Houston, you know, build throughout the week. You get the first time that these two teams seen each other and it's going to be for the division title. Uh, who, who do you have in this game? You know what? I'm uh, I'm going to go with the uh, Texans on this one. And I, and I know that um, it's going against what Tennessee has been doing and and how well Brian Tannehill has been playing. Trust me, I, I – uh, I have Derrick Henry as my uh, fantasy running back this year. I drafted because I knew that um, he was going to get the touches. Uh, to me, it was only be about health with him, and he's shown that he can take the carries, the brunt of the carries. He's doing a an outstanding job. Their defense is, is starting to, uh, you know, be opportunistic, making some plays here and there. We saw that against the Raiders. They made some plays down the stretch, uh, returning one for a touchdown. Those things, but 
I've always been um, under the assumption um, just because I've been there before, Ted, where you get embarrassed the way that the Houston Texans did against Denver. I think that they went in there kind of overlooking the, uh, you know, the Denver Broncos, especially they were at home. Right. It's one thing to lose and you go on the road and you say, hey, we just don't have it. We've seen those games throughout the year. Right. Some team go on the road. They lose. You're like, oh, man, what happened to us? But for the Texans to get beat up the way that they did at home, you know what I mean? Like you get, that that game was not even close. It was 38 three in the third quarter. Right. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this is over. Tech, the, the Texans didn't show up. To have to sit in Texas all week. And hear it from the media, from the coaching staff, from the community, probably your mama, daddy, wife, <laughs> girlfriend, uncle, little kids that you're going to do a, a community event. You know what I mean? Like you go to a little elementary school and like, how y'all got beat by the Broncos last week? That, that's when it really hurts you, Ted, like when the little kids call you out. And so I think that it gives them an added motivation um, to play with a much better effort, a much better sense of urgency. And I think that's why I'm rolling with the uh, – I got the Titans uh, losing this one. I'm, I think Houston wins this game, and we'll see what happens when they play again in Week 17. That time, that one will be in Houston. But I think that the Houston Texans beat the Titans this week. Deshaun Watson gets back on board. They get back on track, and they needed that wake-up call. You want it to happen early in the season. You don't want it to happen now, but I got the Houston Texans in this one, Ted. Yeah, I agree. I think I have the, the Texans in this game, um, too. I just don't see that. You know, the uh, I don't I don't think the Titans defense can stop Houston. We'll see if uh, Will Fuller plays. That's going to be a huge key. Um, I, you know, I think the Raiders actually played pretty well against the Titans defense early in the first half. And then they, they kind of just they the, the offenses didn't really adjust that well in the second half. But um, I, I just don't see them stopping the, the Texans, especially if Will Fuller does play this game. And um, I don't see them stopping Deshaun Watson and containing him. Um, so, yeah, I, I got I got, I got the uh, the Texans this, this game too. And I just feel like they've been on such a hot streak that it's, it's kind of ready to tail off a little bit. Uh, so, yeah, I, I see the Texans winning this one. Yeah, uh, I'm roll. I think we, I think we're in agreement on that one. Sometimes you don't want to see these games, but they do happen throughout the year. They just that one was just a complete dud and a complete egg. And we saw this team play against what the Indianapolis Colts a couple weeks ago, and they won on the Thursday night. Uh, I don't oh know. Sorry, they they uh they they lost that game. I think to the Colts that night um, a couple weeks back. So. Oh, they won by three. That's right. It was a close game, and they won by three, but it was a close one. So we've seen them pull games out late. But we didn't expect them to get blown out by a team that's not going to make the playoffs this year in Denver. Um, yeah, I just didn't expect that. But now you move forward, and that's why I got the Texans winning this one. Uh, ours, our second game. Wait, is, hey, hey, Kurt, let's let's talk about the, uh, the the Bills and Steelers instead of this game. I don't. Know. Yeah, yeah. I don't know how we got in. Yeah, let's go. That that that's a, a much better game. Bills Steelers Sunday Night Football. Respect the opponent, respect our preparation, respect the process as we prepare and get themselves ready to go. Um, this is a good football team we're going to face. A team that's um, had a lot of success if you study the tradition of the NFL and the, and the Pittsburgh Steelers. So um, it's going to be uh, it's going to be a good week of preparation for us and we're looking forward to it. Yes, for our Twitter folks out there, we got it right. It's Bill Steelers that got flexed into this uh, this week. 
And it just so happened that these two teams right now, Ted, they sit as the wild card teams right now, respectively, in the AFC. How do you see this game going? Buffalo, Pittsburgh. I think I think this, the Bills are going to win this. I mean, Delvin Hodges has played well in, in stretches, but I just don't see him playing a great game against that Bills defense that, that's so tough. And, and the Steelers have a great defense too, and they're going to give Josh Allen some trouble um, because they, they're playing at a really high level. But I, I, I just I see Delvin Hodges maybe making a few mistakes in this game uh, that will cost him. Uh, I think Josh Allen will be able to kind of create and uh, use his legs a little bit in this game to, um, to, to be able to create enough offense to pull this one out. I think it's going to be close, but I, I got the bills. Yeah, I'm going to go with the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers. And the reason why I'm going to Pittsburgh Steelers, I think that they're at home. They are feeling really confident in themselves. And I think it's because they kind of have a formula going. And they're getting healthy at the right time, right? They've had a couple of injuries. Juju Smith-Schuster, uh, Connors. I mean, they, uh, they've been a little bit banged up. But I would say this, Ted. The whole fiasco with the Cleveland Browns has brought this team, I think, closer together. That's brought this team into, and that's what no one talks about enough, is that you go through something like that, and I know Mason Rudolph is no longer the starter there, but I thought that just that moment of clarity from the head coach that brought this team together, where you look at Cleveland, they're still in disarray from that, right? But I look at the Pittsburgh Steelers, and they have just a focus about them playing at home on Sunday night. And Buffalo, you ready for this, Ted? Haven't played on Sunday night since 2006, I believe. Sunday night football. A lot of that has to do with, uh, to me, it all factors. And that's why I got Pittsburgh winning this game, just because I feel like they're on a much better roll right now. And that defense is going to give – I think Josh Allen fits just the way that I watched the Baltimore Ravens blitz Josh Allen like crazy. They didn't, they said, forget the four-man rush. We're sending five-man pressures, and they even had a spy on him that they rushed for, and then once it opened up, they sent the extra rusher for Josh Allen, and that's how Baltimore kind of stifled him. I think I'm going to see the similar this week against the Steelers. Yeah, and we, we talked about that last week where Allen Allen has been better against the Blitz this season, but it's still something he struggles with, and the, the Ravens definitely um, expose that, and, and the Steelers won't be scared to expose that too. Um, but a, a huge key in this game is if Juju Smith-Schuster does play, uh, Thomas said he will practice this week, um, so we'll see if he, he ends up returning, you know, having – a key weapon like that against uh, the Bills defense that plays a lot of man-to-man coverage will be huge because I, I just, you know, Deontay Johnson, their other receiver has been playing better, but I, I just don't see any playmakers that could really give this Bills defense uh, trouble if Schuster Smith um, doesn't play this game. Yeah, and they, that's they're going to need him back. Um, Juju Smith-Schuster, if he's back, that's the guy. And uh, just kind of giving you a little something, he's one of my – Players to watch this week in our last segment. We always talk about our players to watch. Juju Smith-Schuster. I'm getting. I'm. Uh, I'm. I'm telling it early. He's my player to watch. I think that that helps out Devlin Hodges. He and Deontay Johnson, a good team, good little trio of young wide receivers for the Pittsburgh Steelers. For more exclusive NFL content, including players to watch, go to theathletic.com 
slash run the film for a free seven day trial and 40% off subscription 